0: Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms.
1: Well, welcome everybody to episode 35 now, I think it is, of the Wingman Podcast. And this afternoon, I am lucky enough to have Mr. Dale Bordelon on from Bayou Beast Calls and kind of a renaissance man if you will dale it's been i really appreciate you taking some time and coming on to talk ducks with me
0: well i appreciate it man that everything i do it revolves around ducks it looked like we just got back from spraying water lilies a while ago me and my hunting buddy and uh fixing to go to my shop do a few duck calls so is that time of the year to get all that stuff ready for the season
1: yeah, it'll be here before we know it. It seems like you know. I when do your seasons down there open? You're in Louisiana, right?
0: Yeah, Louisiana, and uh, we, we're gonna open around uh, second week of November. Okay. Uh, somewhere in that ballpark.
1: Sure, sure. Oh, that's that's great. That's yeah. We don't we open earlier than that, Dale, but I we really don't see a lot of birds until around thanksgiving through christmas and even into january it seems like when the bulk of our birds out here show up too so right. kind of on the same time frame but we were at a couple of guys and I were actually talking today about getting getting out and getting some blinds framed in and uh trimming some stuff up because i like to leave them i like to leave some of my permanent stuff out and let that vegetation grow up on them so it looks as natural as possible but sure. I don't have to spray water lilies like you do.
0: Oh my gosh, We Louisiana is horrible, man. We got a body infestation of floating mats, water lilies, salvina, everything. And right. uh, I, I've been doing that for thirty years, and uh, or, or probably thirty-five years. And I want to make sure when I go duck hunting. And we have a good season. I've been doing this a long time. i look around and see how does it look in my area. And i try to get everything waterless, everything like it was that year, because that's something that attracted these ducks over here. Sure. I don't want to kill everything. I just want to keep it, you know, you're going to have it wool and nasty ducks like that. I just want a good habitat where I can kill ducks.
1: Yeah, no, and I, I bet there's a fine line too between having enough cover and too much.
0: Very, very critical. I—I I, I had a good friend of mine. He killed a lot of ducks one year in a new spot. He went there and cleaned. You heard? Of course, you hear this all the time. He went there and cleaned it all up, put a brand new blind, and he hasn't killed a duck since then. He just quit <sighs> hunting it. I learned that a long time ago. When yeah. you kill a duck, you better leave it. That's something that they like and leave it. Yeah. Like.
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. It's. It seems like out here, if we're hunting, of course, we hunt a lot of rivers um, out here, and that's, that's pretty much the only water we have for the birds in that time of year. And yeah, it's the same way. When you find where they're at, you don't disturb it much. You just go in, tuck yourself in. Maybe, maybe build a little blind or use a panel or something like that. But otherwise I don't disturb much. I like to leave it the way they're used to it.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So Dale, you, we, we were talking earlier, um, kind of trying to set up the podcast and get things straightened out. You and I had a pretty cool phone conversation and man, you've got a lot of history that goes into what you do and kind of your ethos of duck hunting and waterfowling and i'm looking at you you got a one of your calls hanging there around your <laughs> neck let's start with that man tell me about these calls
0: well the cane calls this what started louisiana the of duck calls and it's recorded it's been around since 1860 there's a, a there's a fella that i found out has a call and it has 1860 ri- written on it but what happened, there's a bunch of guys from Illinois that came hunting in Louisiana in the 1850s, 1860, around that, you know, late 1850s. They bought the calls to these French people in South Louisiana. Louisiana used to be the shang dang for ducks in those days. Everything came down. Sure. These these Louisiana boys, Illinois uh, uh, boys came, and these French people saw that. So they kind of took the idea and, and all that, that uh, cane was abundance over here in South Louisiana, river cane. That's the only species native to Louisiana. Okay. It, and it already had a hole in it. And you are talking about the 1800s, they didn't have no electricity. They didn't have no drill presses. They had a hole. So they, they took the idea around with it and started making cane coals. And they use reeds, I mean, uh, cane for reeds. And eventually, old Ace Rubber Company—they use all kind of stuff, to, anything that can, because everybody was poor back then. And this went on all the way to the 1950s, I would say 60s, and then all these big companies started coming in, and and now it's just a it, just a memory deal or a, a culture. Sure. My deal is, I really want to do like the old people did hunt the old ways, so I've been making cane calls about 30 years, not to sell for my personal self. Okay. And i have a job and that so many people wanted it. I found a fella that molded my cane calls out and i have a lot of calls, Bayou Beast calls. It's a molded out cane call. And I'll sell those, but the people really wanted those cane calls. So I just took time And and realize I'm just going to do this. It's in my heart. It's my culture. So I make uh, bamboo cane calls, just like you see right here, with the old rap like they did in the 18th, around 1900. (coughs) And uh, it's part of my culture. And and I really enjoy doing it. And I really want to save up culture if it's possible. And, And so that's why I'm doing it. And uh, I'll hunt with these, me and my boys, my best friend. They work really well, man. We kill ducks. I'm going to give you a sound fall if you don't believe me. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Got a good rasp. You can get high on it. I'll kill plenty of ducks with them little cane coals. I, really <laughs> I love it.
1: I love it. That sounded great. So what, how do you put those together? I mean, I would imagine you working with raw materials. Anytime you work with raw materials over something that's like synthetic, um, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some, some, well, there's some, there's an artistry to it.
0: Well, what I do is I'll go out and i farm me a patch of bamboo <clears throat> and Look, I might have to travel three hours from home. I've been all over Louisiana, and when I find me a good patch and I get the okay from a the landowner, I usually give them a nobody wants money, I make them a cane call. Sure, give me the but I go with my boy, I cut my own cane, I come home, and then I size it all up something, I size it all up in a piece like. It's about three and a half inches. Sure. I cut, it, I cut it longer than I need. Then when it's time, so it's, that's for drawing purposes. It takes a month to draw if you do that. If you don't cut it up, you're looking at three, four months. Okay. I got a moisture meter and, and everything outside is around 13, 15% depending on the humidity here in Louisiana. So I, I put it in the house. I got a big tub with holes underneath on the sides where the air can get in, and I cut the big end, the little end, and I set it in the house, and it takes one month to draw. No humidity in the house with the air conditioner on it. Sure. it not- fast, and it keeps it from molding. <laughs> you have a bad molding problem if there's a lot of humidity, so I put it in the house, I dry it good, I check it with my moisture meter, then I'm ready to make calls. Then, it, then I take that, like the big barrel, then I even it off and that's why I saw it down. It's about three, three and a quarter inches. I don't use the exact, I have one, every call is different. That's sure. how I made them my hundred years ago. I'm trying to keep that part all by hand. And up. I had a I had a, a, a very well-known call maker came here a while back. I went to, well, let me back up. I went to Fox game calls and the old man, Mr. Lejeune, he showed me how they make bamboo coals. Now, they have lates, big lates back from the 1950s. They cut the exhaust barrel. It's like a 20-degree angle, and they have a tapered reamer. They tapered the inside of that barrel where everything fits perfect. Okay, so this fellow came, this call maker, and he told me the same thing, like folks. He said, man, if you got... I was making a call with a pocket knife. He said, Man, if you buy you late. man, you could save time and make all that fit. I said, Yeah, I could, but it wouldn't be handmade. And that's the part I'm keeping. I'm going to do that till I die. I love so it. What I do is I get the big, I get a barrel, the little barrel, and I'm. I'll, it's like matching a puzzle. I'll just put it and see. And then so I'll get and I'll cut it. I made so many. I know about how much to cut. Then I have a little jig and a vise with a double edge, file, a double uh, cutting file, and I file it down perfectly rounded. Everything's gonna fit tight and perfect. That's how they did it a hundred, hundred thirty years ago, and that's how I'm doing it. And it's it, 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 it's very meaningful doing it. Now it's time consuming. It, I have about two hours in a call. So wow. I, that one weekend i did 20 25 calls or 3 day weekend i can't do that every day cuz i burn out i set myself a goal 3 to 5 calls a day and that way i can keep up and i don't get burned out and 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 i have i had about 900 orders that's about 2 years of back orders on my book so and i tell these people look you get on my list it's about 2 years I can only do so much in what I can, and I appreciate all the business. It means a whole lot to me, and I enjoy it. It, it, And and I'm shipping these calls all over the United States, overseas, all over. Wow. I I feel good passing on a little Louisiana heritage around the United States.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That is so cool. Yeah, you know, you and I had talked about that duck hunting is waterfowling. It's, it's more than just the birds, you know, it, there's, there's so much tradition, history, culture. It's more than just making piles. It's more than just shooting limits. You know, there's man, it, it's, and so much of it is exactly what you were just talking about with building those calls. You know, you are capturing, you are not even capturing, you're pushing forward a piece of history that is not, it's not dead. It's not going to die and it's still functional and it still works. And there's so much of that handmade artistry in that, that there's a value that goes beyond, you know, just like I said, shooting limits of ducks. There's something about that
0: with waterfall. A lot of people, I'm not (laughs) knocking anyone. And I used to hunt like that. You go to a store, you buy your brand new camouflage going $1,500, Your shells. You go buy your boat and you go hunting. I did that for years. I'm not saying nothing about it. It's fine. Yep, I agree. But to me, it really picked it up a notch. I built my own dugout pirogues like the old Frenchman. And I hunt out of these. That and is I, cool. I, and I started that 20 years ago. I, I made four boats, four dugout pirogues. Then I started I, I, with my cane calls. I'm, I carve my own decoys. I have a 30 years of decoys that I've been carving and, and all kind of species. I've never bought a piece of wood to carve a decoy. I have pictures. I went in when I'm hunting, I'm looking for that. And when I hunt at Calihur Lake, you find a lot of that. It's root. root. I've, I've accumulated a lot of that stuff to carve my own ducks. And I said that years and years ago if I'm going to do this, it's gonna be like my ancestors did. No stores involved, all hands on. Everything I hunt with now and is it, made just like that. And uh, my old P Rogue, I got this last one I built. I, there's a fella got me a log, a logger. He called me. He, he logged a 600 acre track. And he said, Dale, I got a log. It's the biggest log on here. It's a big log, it doesn't have a branch. That is long. I said, I'm coming this afternoon to look at it. <laughs> I, I went over there. I, when I saw that log, I said, how long are you going to be here? He said, about a week. I said, I'll be back tomorrow. I had to get one of those big trailers. My trailer, my little 16-foot trailers, 4,500-pound uh, actuals wouldn't hold that. I went get a, a big, heavy-duty trailer, me and a good friend. and He set that log on there. I bought it home. I counted the rings, that tree was started growing in 1844. I counted them twice. I wrote that on my payroll when I finished building it, 1844. And that tree, that boat, that tree was about five miles from where I duck hunt now. It's a big swamp, big sopper swamp right there. I would never cut a sopper tree down. These people, they had to cut it, it was in a contract. So by doing that, I'll, yeah, I'll take the log. Yeah. So, But I built me a dugout eyed pirogus, a little over 14 foot long. Now, when the French, my people came here around in 1720 on both sides. My, my grandma, my grandpa, and on my mama's side, they come from France. They went to Canada. I'm all French all the way around. But when my ancestors came here in 1720, the Indians was making dugout pirogues, but they made a long boat, 30 feet long, and they burned the inside out. Okay. The French people, when they came here, they had blacksmiths. They were a little educated, so they had the tools. They just took that boat and shortened it up about 12 foot, dug it out with the foot abs, and uh, they got all kind of uh, bowl ads. Cooper's ads, they had the, it, it, but you can't find that today. Blacksmiths made that in the old days. Sure. So that, they started building <laughs> dugouts about 17, around 1780, the French. Wow. And it went on till about 1930. Now they logged all these big woods in Louisiana from the 1850s to about 1930. And that's when the dugout make, that's when the dugout period quit. I mean, there was no more big trees, and uh, they started going to plank boats. Okay. And they started building plank boats in eighteen, uh, nineteen thirty, all the way to in the nineteen eighties. Then fiberglass took over, and that's so. But anyway, our deal is to build a pier like my ancestors did in the 1800s along with my decoys. And so I've accomplished that mission and, and I, I baptized it. I'm killing duck and I'm having a ball, man. When I sit in the, in the blind, I got handmade decoys, cane calls, a dugout, my P-roll, my I, my own paddles. I've never bought a paddle in my life. <laughs> I've been, make, been making paddles for 40 years. Every, and I shoot old eighteen ninety seven. I was gonna talking. say, this is just stuff that this is duck hunting to me.
1: Yeah, yes, sir. I
0: don't have to kill anything. It's a, every time I go out. It's a it's a outing to hunt like this. It's yeah. enjoyment. I'm keeping that heritage going, and, and, and that means a lot to me. And I I I, I got two bars. They picking it up. They hunt like I hunt, not like me as bad, but I can see they're in that twenties. I'm sixty. I just made sixty, and uh, I'm having a ball, man. I, I don't know what I, you know. I'm enjoying duck hunting.
1: Oh, good for you! <clears throat> I that was one of the things when when you go on your Facebook page and Bayou Beast calls and and you look at your social media, it seems like you've always got that old 1897 Winchester in your hand, and you're oh, you know you're wearing God. traditional clothes and and you're. I followed you when you were digging, when you were working on that dugout, I paid pretty close attention to you. That was before we started this podcast. And I thought to myself at the time watching you do that, I thought, man, what a labor of love that has got to be to be able to bite off a project that big. And I just watched you as you documented that process. How does that, I mean, how does it it paddle? How how does it pull? I mean.
0: Oh my God. That thing's like a, Tires like a jewel, man. I let now when you build a dugout, the old master boat builders they leave about three quarters of an inch on the sides and a, maybe if an inch, about an inch on the bottom where they could pick it up at one hand and walk. Now, I got a couple of boats, it, it, it'll be hard for me to pick me and my boy can pick it up, it's, and I've just about got it, you know. It but this lot. Like, when I look at the old boats in the old days, half of those boats are split, for oh, the yeah. reason they go too thin. Okay. But they, that's how they, that was real boat craftsmanship at, at, at that era. My pirogue, I left some meat on it. Now We can pick it up, but I got me a trailer, I put it on. <laughs> the older I, I get, I ain't gonna better be picking it up, you know, if I can hot top it. But anyway, that boat is it's heaven when the boat's past it doesn't bounce it busts at the waves and it's like a, a locomotive it takes you three or four strokes to get going but when it gets going you talk about powder like a jewel i'll go powder all over the place in the summer just i love it so much she really does well
1: man that is cool that is cool you know you were talking about so much of what you're talking about doing is kind of It's it's in style right now, especially uh, in in the outdoor space, you know, uh, the locavore movement, knowing where your food comes from, um, growing your own food in gardens um, to, you know, obviously hunting is waterfowling is it's a it's a pastime that we all love and enjoy, but it puts food on the table, too, at the same time. And oh, yeah. you're taking that to another level, man. It's like you're you're talking about when you're out hunting, you're looking around for, in your environment, for those resources that you can use for decoys. What are you looking for when you're out there looking for a decoy? Because it can't just be any chunk of wood, I'm assuming.
0: Well, over here in Louisiana, they use sarpish root and tupelo gum, the trunk okay. of a tupelo tree. Okay. I don't have tupelo where I hunt, but I have plenty of sarfish. And uh, when I go to Callahoola, there's not a lot of tupolos. It's a lot of cypress. I have have found trees uprooted. I'm going to tell you a story. I was hunting one day at Kalahula years ago. And I went, I found a, the, one of the biggest cypress roots I have ever seen in my life. I, I've never seen a root that big. It was way up on the bank. My boys was young. So I said, we're coming next week with my p Guess This was after duck season. I said, I'll... I was looking for decoy, let me back up. I wasn't hunting, I was looking for decoy. But okay. I found this big root. In that time, it rained about 10 inches. And I went with my pirogue and my two bars. I put my two bars in my pirogue and I paddled down the barrier. Todd, I saw 10 snakes. Oh. One of my boars, when he saw one, he wanted to jump out the boat. My other boy, he's not afraid of him. So I wouldn't say nothing. I would just slip by them, it was in the trees. When I got to the spot, this big root was up on the bank, but the water came up so much, it was right even with the boat. And I bought me a rope. So I got out on the bank and I tied that big root to the, uh, I tied it and I tied it to the back of my pier rope and I put, I hauled it out behind my pier. I floated it out. I put my boys back and it was a long journey. I floated all the way back to the night. I bought my eight-foot trailer. And then, so I backed it in the water, and I pulled it on there. I, I, I bet you I made 10 or 12 decors. out. That was years ago now. Wow. But I go, we used to go in the springtime. <laughs> Catahoula has a lot of history full of old cars Used to. I don't think you find too much no more. So I would go look for cars Also look for soccer route. Anything like that to make decors. And, and I have a big stash in my shed right now uh, of Sopper's root. I have about thirty handmade decoys of hunt with as we speak. And uh, never had a power tool on them. Never bought a piece of wood. Never used a power. All by hatchet and a draw knife. And I made my own draw knife to use. Uh, a lot of tools I've made. And uh, there again, it, it's really something to kill ducks on. I had a fella come film me a couple of years ago, the opening day of duck season. He wanted to, I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring my duck out, all my decoys. Todd, I got 30 decoys. I got two big canvas bikes, and I got a big floating speck I made. I put that about 70 yards. Confidence decoys. I'll rig sure. all that up, you know, and, and, and <coughs> play with all that. The first day we hunted, we killed 24 ducks in one hour. Wow. With my homemade decars <laughs> and my dugout P Rogue, so that, you know, do they work? Yes, they work. I paint them like the old people. It's not no professional paint. People think you got to have those old fancy D cars. I don't believe in all that. If, When you're not killing ducks, they either see you, it's your blind concealment, or it's not the right wind where right, you're hunting. It's not your decors, because you can kill them over black jugs when everything's perfect.
2: Sure.
1: Sure. Yeah. That the black jug thing, I, I grew up in the great lakes area in in Michigan and there's a lot of diver hunters up there that hunted those big lakes. And a lot of those guys would just use yeah. Bleach jugs. They'd paint up bleach jugs and leave one half white one half and paint the other half black and rig out. I don't know how many dozen of those things in lines and they killed piles of ducks over bleach jugs.
0: Todd, they got some feathers in Catahoula, They got two thousand per blind, right? Not not now, but in this era, I mean, sure. All dogs, and they claim they kill as many big ducks as yeah decoys. I've never hunted with drugs, but I know a lot of people that have. Sure. And I see them all over Catahoula and you know they're killing ducks. So, but uh, I don't think, I don't think like my my decoys. They're not professionally painted. They paint like the old people. They are pretty. I like them. They'll kill ducks. I'm going to tell you.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, take it, let's take it back a step. You know, you talked about when a, a few minutes ago you were talking about, you know, you've been through the, the modern, the modern stuff, you know, when you bought the camo and you bought the, you know, the decoys and you did all this and it, it sounds to really me like you've come back to this, why? You know, I mean, I I know I, I get the connection, but what made you what made you well, want to do this?
0: I'm gonna tell you all. All my life, my daddy always took us in the woods hunting, camping in every weekend just about was in the summer winter. But in the winter, I was just when i see my daddy with socks of ducks. It just blew my mind. And and I was a young man sitting at the camp and listening to the grown-ups talk. I was just watching when, when, and to hear how these old people had hardships. There was the happiest people in the world. They sold ducks. Everybody was poor. My dad's good friend sold feathers. They put it in the, in the paper in the 1960s. And I remember that as a kid. I'll save my feathers right now because of just that person, them people right there. It never left me. Yeah. But as I got older, the same people that would come to the camp, they got too old to hunt. So I for 30 years, Todd, I've been bringing these people ducks and I'd go visit them. I would hear the stories from them 30 years to now. now they' all passed on. Sure. It's the stories they had and it made me that just sent me back to I want to be like them. I don't want to be like nobody now. They're my heroes. <laughs> so I step back and I want to be like, everything was so simple back then. Model 12s, 1897s. That's the best guns they ever made. I had an old friend. Uh, can I tell you a story about an eighteen about an old gun? I uh, Please do. I had an old friend. He's dead now. He died at 90, 95 years old. They used to put it, they used to, when he was 12 years old, This was, I have a story written down, 1932. He went to the store with his daddy. He said, uh, Guy Prevost, that's the name of the fellow that had the store. And he said, Mr. Guard, my boy wants the bar gun. You have something? And it had an 1897 on the rack. He said, I got this gun right here. And and he said, how much you want for it? He said, "That $26. Oh my gosh, we don't have that kind of money. This was 1932. He said, i tell you what you do. that." The, Simon Poitier, he was 12 years old, the boy. He said, and Mr. Preble said, Simon, I'm gonna give you that gun, but you're gonna pay for it with ducks, claim ducks. That man had a big glass case. You're looking in the thirties. He'd put a block there and sell ducks to the public. That was legal back then. Sure. So this this guy took that duck. And in that season, 12 years old, he paid for that gun. And when he would go back in the store, he see his own ducks in the glass case that man was selling. So there's no telling how much that old man made off of him with that <laughs> with the duck, you know? No kidding. <laughs> so, but Mr. Simon used to put his ducks in the 30s with his daddy in the large well. Everybody had a well then because they stayed cool a few days longer till they got a good mess and they'd go sell them in New Orleans with a truck load. You know, they go with a whole bunch. I, Todd, I, I wrote a bunch of stories down. Because when I hear that, n- nobody cares, and the people die, the stores are dead. I have yes. a whole bunch of stores and I was working on a book for this. I just got pressed for time with my duck calls and all, but I'm going to keep pursuing that. So, oh,
1: man, please do. Are you there? Yep, I got you back.
0: I don't know what. My phone rang in the house. I don't know if that caused that or not.
1: I, who knows? It's okay. It's okay. You were talking about, um, taking ducks to new Orleans.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, but that old man used to, they used to put them in a well, in a live well, when they get a, a good load, they'd haul them to new Orleans and sell them. But those people drove me to do what I do now. These old people, that's why I hunt like I hunt because of these old people. Right. And I used to see these people all the time in town with the old and and ducks and Everybody had burlap sacks. That's how they put their ducks in. And I sell burlap sacks with my name on it, you know, right now because of that. They look good. I put my ducks in burlap. I do everything like they done. So <laughs> it, all that kind of is why I'm driven to what I'm doing now. And I love yeah. it. I love it.
1: You said you were, you were working on a book with all these stories when we got cut off there.
0: I started a book, Todd. I got a bunch of stories. I mean, a bunch. And I just stopped because of the call making. I have a job and I make calls. I just don't have time as we yeah. speak. I, but I would, one day I'm going to pick it up and continue. I have a bunch of great stories. Just like I told you, just awesome stories. People wouldn't believe just hunting, killing all kind of ducks at, in the full moon. And, uh,
1: Give me one. Give me one. Tell me one.
0: One time, my friend, I had an old friend. This was 1950. They was killing a whole lot of ducks. It's a little lake over here by the house. And uh, there's a little town. The closest town is Hasma. That's where I was raised, Hasma, Louisiana. And he went, he would go hunting in the morning for this period of time. And there was no ducks that was coming. Now, you know, the moon phase has different. Sometimes the ducks do different things. But he could see all the feathers on the water. He said, something's wrong. He said, I'm coming tonight, and I'm going to be here. It was a full moon. I'm going to see what happens. So him and another friend went. They, went. they went at dark. He said, them ducks started showing up. They showed up for one hour with the moon. They shot duck for one hour and they killed 40 something. I have it written down. All Mollers. That was in 1950. And he this man was a very religious and he didn't tell no story. He said (laughs) it was 12, he said it was 12 o'clock at night. And he said the reason I know because the train passes every night through Hesim at midnight and blows the horn. When we was killing duck, that train was blowing his horn at the same time. So that you know it was. But that's a good story, shooting ducks with them. Uh, Todd, I'm to tell you something. I wanna <clears> tell you another story. You know, people feed ducks. I have an old friend that sold ducks for 40 years. I'm not gonna mention no names, to a restaurant in New Orleans. He died at 101 years old. <laughs> he fed, they fed ducks. Wheat, corn, beans, marlow, everything you could think of. They did this. It, it, it was a market for them. He told me the best thing he ever used is chopped corn. Yeah, That's the best thing ducks like, way better than whole corn. He said one opening day, they went a week before the season. It was about six inches of water, and they put chopped corn all over that ring. They went back when it opened for the opening day. A little, it was three of them. A little after 9 o'clock, they had a little over 300 ducks. He said, as you'd shoot, when a duck, this is how he explained to me, when a duck wants to feed, noise don't bother them. As they'd shoot, they would just keep landing. The noise didn't, they was making so much noise in that hole, they wanted them chopped corn so bad, they would just shoot, shoot, shoot. They killed a little over 300 and, and mo- most of that was Miles back then. They didn't shoot trash duck. They didn't have a whole lot of trash duck. Chopped corn. That man told me that story several times. And he passed. I would go visit him. I have a bunch of his stories, man. It, it's unbelievable. Wow.
1: What What years were, I mean, obviously this was way back while well, there wasn't well, any laws
0: on this. I'm going to tell you something, dog. <laughs> the old people I know, the best duck hunting in Louisiana was in the 1960s and 70s. He, when he came back from the war in 1945, he couldn't kill a mallard duck over here in these swamps in Louisiana. But that in 1946, there was no mallards. And, and they, this man haunted, I mean haunted all the way to the end. They sold duck. They, they had a thing going on. They had a man come to his house from New Orleans to buy these ducks to serve in the, one of the biggest restaurants in New Orleans. He wouldn't, they would come get them for 40 years. Wow. What, what they would do, Todd, when the ducks would line. One day him and his boy killed 80 ducks in three bunches. Christmas day, Christmas Eve day from 10 o'clock till 12 over here, and this was the early 70s. Wow. When, they, when these ducks would line, they would, they would leave them sometimes five, 10 minutes. And then they would take that call and hit on the gun. When they, when they, when they got, when a duck gets nervous, this is how he explains to them. And it's true. When a duck gets nervous, they bunch up before they take off. And then when they do that, he would take his call and hit on his, he, he would knock on his gun. they that not, with, they're all raised out here and they get all head shots and they'd shoot three times. They, they want a head They were selling these ducks. Yeah. They're, in the early 70s. <clears throat> so they would try to kill as much as they could, and they shot all low power. Don't let nobody believe, fool you about a three-inch. They didn't have three-inch back then, hardly. Everything was with low power. They were shooting up mm-hmm. close, killing all they can, you know.
1: Shooting yeah, there. yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah, this this old man, he had some stories, man. And uh, his nephew is 85 years old now, and he's still hunting. <laughs> Oh wow
1: I hope I could pull that off.
0: Oh my gosh I, I don't know what I'd do if I'd on a chip something right now to do that <laughs> I, <laughs> I hear I'd give, you. I'd give my bank account if I could do that. Right
1: yeah. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. no kidding. Oh my gosh. yeah the, you gotta you gotta come up with that book. That would be uh, man that would I would buy it absolutely. Those are stories like that are priceless. You know, like you were talking, once they're gone, they're gone.
0: They're gone. That's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, all kinds of stories. Uh, And I got several old people that gave me a lot of their stories. And they all passed. I'm glad I got them. There's still some out there. But you got to get back. You got to get the old hunters that really, you know, really haunted and did a lot. Not just some fly by nights. Uh, These old people did that for living.
2: Right.
0: It's unbelievable the stories they got. Uh, I, there's a man over here, a friend of mine. He's 74 years old. He, the most ducks he ever killed was 270 ducks in 100. Wow. Two and most. That was 1973. And a heart. Selling these ducks now. This was a hard freeze. These ducks were, man, they wanted. But Todd, my daddy had an old duck hole. They used to kill sacks of ducks back then too. I'm not that many like I just told you about, but they killed sacks and and well, he would come home with that. My daddy was a khaki clothes man, a model twelve person. If you know what I'm talking about. I do. All, all, business, no joke. I mean, drank his beer. He was serious about hunting. He didn't. They didn't bring all this stuff with him. They just bought a sack. With a few and to bring the ducks back, old model 12, he had a cartridge belt. They didn't shoot a whole lot of shells, they waited till they landed and, and they wouldn't shoot one here at 60 yards. There was no such thing as doing that back then. That I remember growing up, and I grew up with these old people, there was good shots, but uh, these young people now, man, they waste wasting shells. And my boys is just as bad, I'm like, you know, <laughs> but and, hey, I do that too at times. Sometimes you got to do that to kill a duck in this era. I mean. It's not like those days, no more.
1: Yeah. I, I can, I can agree with you on that one. There's days when, I mean, obviously I, I talked about that we did a YouTube video last year and there was a morning in the blind that, um, man, the ducks were just finishing perfect. They were right in our faces, feet down. They were, it was perfect, but I talked about, you know, it's not always like that, you know, and if you're going to, if you do want to kill birds, sometimes you got to take them when they're, you know, at least here. You got to take them when they swing, you know, because if you let them swing again, they're probably not going to finish, and you God. missed an you missed an opportunity. And but my goodness, what wouldn't we all like to just kill them right in our laps every day, you know?
0: It, it makes it nice <clears when throat> it happens, but it don't happen a lot. My personal self, and I tell my boys that, and they hunt like that. When 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 they go when the ducks come, if they were the decoys, the first pass, we shooting. I don't wait for a duck to light unless I can see that he's coming down. I mean, Right,
1: right, right. If, if,
0: if they fly and Todd, we kill a lot of duck. We pretty good wing shots and uh, I, I, my best friend, I've been hunting with him since we was 12. He's I'm sick. He, we sprayed waterless today. I'm a blessed <laughs> man to still have a friend like that. Yeah. I know exactly what duck he's shooting and he knows what I'm shooting. And my boys picked that up. We hunt four in the blonde, you shoot your end. I don't care what it is, kill a whole lot more ducks on the wing. Don't yep. cross this man's duck because he's close. that will never happen to my blonde. I'll chew him out. You shoot your ducks as they stay. Kill a lot of ducks doing that, Todd.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something that I try to instill whenever I have new guys or people that are that are new to duck hunting. That's something I try to talk to them about all the time. Like, shoot as you are. And they're like, What does that mean? And I said, shoot the birds that are in front of you, not right. If you've got a turn to shoot a bird, it's probably in somebody else's spot and you shouldn't be shooting, you know, or, uh, and Dale, it's interesting here. A lot of the stuff we do because we hunt, the rivers we hunt are are fast. And so with only a, with, with one dog or two, a lot of times, unless you know, you can kill a bird over land where he's not going to fall in the water. We limit it. We limit our shooting to, you know, one or two birds because any more than that, and we're losing them. They get down river in that fast current and, they get, and they're gone. Well, that's and a good practice. Yeah, we, we just try to do that. So that does make it a little easier. We have a tendency, tendency to take turns that way. You know, it's sure. like, all right, I shot the last one. It's it's so-and-so's turn this time. And then next up is this. You know, if we got a kid in the blind, they always get first crack,
2: you it's know.
0: All, no doubt. And I, I'll take my nephews. And, 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 yeah, you're right. We put them in a hole. We let them shoot, but we're going to be shooting behind them now. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if it's yes, a day and, 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 you know, it's not much, they better hit, they better shoot that first shot. But. Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. I love it. I love
0: so, it. I want to tell you, though, you're talking about these ducks. We cook religiously over here at the camp and at home, all our ducks. It's a big thing to kill ducks and come home and my wife got like a, t- a gumbo with 10 teals in it mm. or, 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 or I'll cook it. Or, and, and then we're eating, talking about the hunt. You're still hunting like that, you know? Yes. It, it just There's no end to it. Yes. So we just don't kill ducks. When I kill a duck, when we kill ducks, say we kill 18, 20 ducks or whatever, I have a big bucket at the camp. I'll start plucking the breasts. We pluck our ducks behind. I'll start pluck. and then when I get three or four done, I throw them to my bars. We got one man gutting as three of us are plucking. I do I'll go through all the ducks and get my feathers because I make pillars with them. Okay. So I take all the, the good feathers, put them in a bucket, and then we continue. It doesn't take much time. Then it goes to the gutter, then we gut them all, we hang them, let them dry. And then I just take my feathers when I get home and I dump them in a sack and I put them in my shop. And I do that the next week. Wherever I go, I bring my bucket and I do that. I have five sacks of feathers right now. I just sprayed them this afternoon. I have an old French woman going to help me. I don't know how to sew. The old women know how to sew. We're going to make a pillow top and we're going to put it on YouTube made the old way like the old French people, you know. When
1: you when you do that, Dale, share that link with me. I will put that up. I will I would love to help you share that.
0: Uh, that is cool. And we she got the old material. I'm in an old French woman. And I got the uh, it's a feather stuffer. People don't know too much about that in Louisiana. The old and them old women, you know how you have a sausage stuffer? hmm used to have made out of soccer or feather stuffer. I have one. And they put them fast and they stuff it in there. And and then they, you know, sew it behind. She's going to do all that. We're going to record all that.
1: Uh, That is cool.
0: I I think so. Uh, I'm anxious for that.
1: Yeah, I am. I would love. I'm excited for that, too. That'd be neat to see. You're talking about eating ducks. There's, you know, there's tons of different ways to eat ducks. But you guys down there are really known for your food. And
0: (laughs) how do you what's your favorite way to eat ducks? Todd, i tell you what, we kill a good supply of ducks. I usually keep all my teals and wood ducks. I don't keep no other ducks. I'm not saying they're bad. Why keep a spoonbill when you got a bunch of teals? That's my point. And teals are very edible. What I like to do, when I like to take a teal and I, I want, I'll want pot roast them whole. Just brown them real good, put them in, you know, uh, I put onions, celery, bell peppers. I put. I like to put one turnip, cubed up. It gives. It gives it an awesome flavor.
2: Hmm.
0: I put a li- I put about two tablespoons of fig preserve or strawberry. It gives it a good good sweetness, man. And but I put it. I put all that in there, and I put it in the oven. And I uh, I put Worcestershire, I put a little sausage. I cook it for on three fifty a couple of hours. Maybe you can cook it three hours. It doesn't matter if it gets so tender because 'cause you're not stirring it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I like to pot roast them like that. And and look, I take that cover off. They'll get brown, brown, just as pur- just beautiful. Gumbo. I like to smoke some teals, wood ducks. I cut them in half. They're a little bigger. I'll smoke them. Then I'll make a uh. Make a roux, make a big gumbo, and just put them in there with all your stuff. I like that we put eggs in gumbo over here. Mm. That, that goes way back in my people. A lot of people don't eat that. We put eggs, sausage. We put all – Tommy, put air, you open the ice box, and you do whatever you think, you throw it in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's real gumbo right there.
0: <laughs> that, that, that is a Louisiana tradition right there. Open your ice box and just put what you got. <laughs> oh, I love
1: it. I love it. I love it yeah I I started a couple years ago I started plucking uh I mean I've always plucked birds um but I got it you know I was a year in your 20s or and you're get in the pile making mentality and I I think back to the number of birds that I just breasted out you know and and cooked up different ways uh turned into sausage or jerky or whatever and then they got eaten great but I'm really, uh, the last couple of years, I've really gotten into experimenting with, with stuff. And I've got two little girls and my wife likes, w- likes ducks and the, I've, I've gotten, so I'll take that, I'll fillet that breast off, I'll pluck it and I'll fillet that off with the, with that skin on it, score that skin, you know, across like a hat crosshatch pattern and then fry it uh surrender that fat get it crispy and then throw it on a hot grill or flip it over and put it in a hot oven until it's like i don't medium rare and then oh and it's like the best ribeye steak you've ever had you know you throw some brown sugar salt and pepper on it a little bit my kids can't they'll eat it as fast as i put it on their plate
0: I, i i agree with you Last year, I was at the camp and, and my boy did some spoonbills. He de he took them out, de breast them, cooked them just like you said. Now, we didn't have all that stuff you talked about, but he cooked them. Just, uh, from what to I understand, Todd, medium rare is what you want. Right. He cooked them, he, he soaked them in something, and I don't know, not for long. He cooked it, and I said, that, That's just like a rib bar, man. It was a spoonbill. I, said, I know. Start debreasting some more duck. I've eaten it several <laughs> times, Todd. It's very good. It is. I really like it like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so what I do with the with the rest of the bird then is I finish I finish plucking it, and my wife makes stock. You know, we'll, we'll boil it down with with the with the rest of the skin, the bones, and the meat, and just make make stock. It should make pies out of that, um, and make soups with it, stews with it, you name it. Probably make gumball that way too, I would I would imagine.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I don't see why not with that stock. That's what you know. We do that a lot. You ball it, in that juice, man, it just adds to the flavor yeah. so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I've got God. so I've started saving my hearts and livers too.
0: Oh my gosh, that you talk about good. Yes. But sir. But there's so many ways, there's so many ways you can cook ducks. And 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 we just cook it all kind of ways. And, and my wife's cooking some. My wife is cooking some tonight and I told her about the podcast. She said, well, we're going to, let me do it tomorrow. She'll be making all kinds of noise. So she's going to do it tomorrow. Todd talking about it.
1: <laughs> well, sitting here, sitting here talking about that. It's supper time here too. I'm getting hungry. Just talking about all this. <laughs> no, I, I love it, Dale. Uh, and I, I love, I love the, that you've captured and, and hung on to gone back to that. You know, those old ways. That's an inspiration, you know. If if you could, if you could grab a hold of this younger generation that's coming up in in waterfowling and give them a word of advice,
0: what would you tell them? I would tell t- t- to a younger person: go to your grand, go to your daddy's house, go to your grandpa's house. I'm sure most of them have guns. Get one of their old guns. Go get some ball shells. Use that old gun. If he's got an old bird bag, put that part into what you're doing and keep that heritage going. And that'll give you, the young guy, an incentive to hunt because he got part of his grandpa with him or his daddy. I tell a lot of people that. I, I did that by no choice. I didn't have no guns growing up. I'll still hunt with my daddy's old gun, or his old shell by all these old people. A lot of these old people, Todd gave me a lot of stuff after going to interview, visit him and, and I'd bring up ducks. I'll use that, all that in my hunting. So I would tell a young guy, you don't need a $2,000 gun or the prettiest camouflage. A lot of, and that's nothing wrong with it. Sure. Get your daddy's old gun, get your get your boss shells, cause they make shells to shoot any of those old guns. Sure and go out and have fun with it. You you don't have to kill 24 ducks, 18. It's an experience. Go enjoy the sunrise. Go enjoy it with a good friend, man. You can make, me and my friend made so many memories, Todd. We didn't kill nothing when we started. I I had a 1956 Jeep and I was 14 years old and we drove the back roads, our parents let us. We would walk at least a mile I would carry two tax of decoys. He'd carry both guns. We would hunt. We wouldn't wouldn't even kill nothing. But that was so many, we didn't know what we was doing. We learned on our own as a young man. We didn't we we wouldn't kill nothing, but couldn't wait to go back the next day. We were so happy. (laughs) And then we started killing our daughters, then you know they started helping us. But take all this stuff, take all that old stuff and just put it, your, old P- your grandpa's rogue man, just all this. That, that's what I would tell a young man. There's a connection, Todd. Everybody has a connection when it comes to waterfowl hunting. That's a personal connection, and, and that would keep you going. That would strive you to hunt more and enjoy the outing. You kill two or three, what's the difference? Just go have fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that is, I think that's sound wisdom, Dale. I I really do. That's, I've got an old, one of my dad's, I've got several of my dad's old guns, but I've got a couple that I'll use occasionally. And man, on those hunts, if I kill one bird, days made, you know, if I'm shooting that old over and under, I, my days made because it's, it's like, I did it with dad's gun, you know, and I remember growing up watching him shoot ducks and geese with that gun
0: Todd, my grandpa died or my daddy saw it in 1965 he had a browning on one of those old brownings he he lost his arm in a cotton gin in 1925 <laughs> he raised eight kids you know didn't have welfare and all that right he had that old gun and my dad, my dad has passed on. He would, my dad would be 94 right now. He oh. died at 87. Okay. That, but my, my grandpa was so poor. The neighbor would come to him. He had money. My dad, my grandpa's name was Date. That's Wilbur French for Wilbur. Okay. And he said, Dave, I'm going to give you 10 shells. That's paper shells. I want five grow bags. That's a yellow crown night heron. They're very, very edible. People ate these birds in a the depression. They're they good eating. Uh, talk. He said, "I'm gonna give you ten shells. I want five good The shot you miss is yours." My grandpa was. They were starving, so he he was killing for him too with those five shells. Hit. Sure. But I took that old gun year before last. My brother. He's the oldest in the family, he, uh, the kid. He has his, it passed down to him. I took that old gun, I've never shot it in my life. I went with my son, hunting over my handmade decoys. I carved and I killed the first duck with, I killed one duck, Todd. Took a picture, my boy killed two or three, I killed one. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah. My boy shot the rest. I took a picture, I hung him in a tree with my grandpa's old gun. Money money cannot buy that, what I just told you. I went yeah. back to the cap, I gave the gun back to my brother, said so you can take it home, I accomplished the mission. <laughs> the next day I used my dad's model 12, killed ducks with it, my, my dad left it for me, it's an old model 12. That means so much to me, what I just told you. That's what it, That's what it's about. The memories yeah. you make making duck hunting, the heritage is a big part, man. And, and, and using your grant, your dad is your, your ancestor stuff. It's a connection. Everything has a connection when it comes to duck hunting.
1: Yeah. No. And I think about the people that are just picking it up, you know, and they may not have that connection to some of that old stuff, but they can build their own, you know, oh. they they can build that heritage from, from ground, ground zero. So three generations from now, their grandkids are going. Man, this was grandpa's, you know, this was grandpa's uh, you know, CZ 1012, you know, or this was grandpa's whatever. And this is grandpa's jacket, you know, this this I don't know, this sitka jacket he had, or whatever it might be.
0: That's right.
1: You know, it those things, if you take care of that stuff, it still lasts, you know, that stuff doesn't go bad. So I think about that to to people who are listening, and they're going, "What? Well, yeah, but I don't, I, I just started this, I don't know anybody. That's okay. You're generation one. You're the start of this for your family.
0: And you don't have to hunt for a hundred years with something. Pick your pick your gun up. Go buy your gun if you don't have none. Right. The little memories you make with that, you pass that on to your kids. And next year, your kids or whoever, you know, this was my dad. Everybody's proud to have something from their daddy or their grandpa. So it's not too late to say, oh, I'm too late. I don't have nothing to hunt. Go to buy your nice gone, what it and, and, and just use that and pass it down to your kid. It it would mean a lot to them.
1: No, I agree, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I'd, i I wonder about that, you know, sometimes I see what you do, and I see how I grew up, and I remember I have very fond memories. We used to do a goose camp in the upper peninsula of Michigan, and I remember that old generation come back from World War II, and they're all gone now, they've been gone for years, but. I had the, man, I had the distinct pleasure. I will never forget calling in. We called him uh, Grandpa Charlie. And Grandpa Charlie was a character. And he shot an old three-inch Model 12, wore a L.L. Bean canvas jacket, you know, and and had all that old stuff and couldn't stand up to shoot anymore. I think he was in his, like, he was 91 the last year. And I was... I was a kid, Dale. I think I was like 15, 16 years old. And I called in a goose, a a single goose over the decoys. And he sat up and he shot that Well, He didn't sit up. He was already sitting, but he leaned forward and he shot that bird. And that was the last time he went to goose camp. And that was the last goose he ever killed. And I got to do, got to call that bird in for him. That memory is etched into my brain, you know, and I, I cherish that. I cherish that
0: and Todd on a, if you like me on a bad day or, or just any good, any given day, that's a little flashback, boy, I'll just pick you up another sprint to keep you going.
1: <laughs> yes, sir. It just did. I had, uh, actually today was kind of a tough one. <laughs> you know, every work isn't always fun. You know what I mean? Oh, and, and, uh, sitting down with you and having a good conversation about these stories, I'm smiling and I'm laughing and, Man, this was. I needed this conversation. And I I appreciate it. I'm. Uh, we're we're getting pressed for time on this thing, and I think we've got another couple hours in us at least. I would love to sit back down with you sometime, and maybe after season, and talk about some of the stuff that you've got in the works. And yeah, I, I want to know more
0: about this about this pillow you're making. I'm going to give you how many ducks, how much it weighs. I have all that logged right now. I love I it. it. i keep a record and all of that.
1: Oh man. I love
0: Here's it. Some good information.
1: Well, Dale, thank you so much. And I'll let you go and get to dinner. And, uh, so your wife isn't harping on you from the other room.
0: Oh, she's <laughs> not worried about that. Okay. <laughs> but I, I appreciate it, dog.
1: I really appreciate your time and. We'll have to sit back down again and, and, uh, rehash some more stuff. Cause like I said, you, you are a fountain of information and old good stories. And I, I appreciate what you're doing down there, hanging on to the old ways, man. That's really cool.
0: Well, I thank you. And, and I plan to go out hunting like I'm hunting right now and I, I, I enjoy it. So, but I want to thank you for letting me tell my story and get it out all over. It means a lot to me. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I thank you for being on. It's one of those things that i like I said, I've been an admirer of what you do for a couple of years now and on social media. And I thought when we started this podcast, I thought, man, he'd be an interesting guest. And then lo and behold, I had Ramsey Russell on a few weeks back and he, you came very highly recommended from Ramsey Russell. I was like, okay, I'm calling him. <laughs>
0: Rafley comes down to Louisiana every now and then, and I go with him on these podcasts and then, and, you know, I'll find people for him or, or he calls me and then and he knows somebody, and, but we always Rams a fine fella. Yeah. And we're going to go here in September, make a little run down south. And, uh, I always love spending time with him. He's down <laughs> a genuine down earth, very fine fella. And, 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 he's a good friend of mine.
1: That's cool. Well, I got one more question for you, Dale, and I'll let you go. And I've been trying to close out my podcast episodes, asking this one, if you could only hunt one duck, one way for the rest of your life, what's it going to be?
0: Probably blue wing teals out of my dugout, my uh, pure blind. Love it. I started hunting that when I was young. I got so many memories of blue wings teal season from the seventies. And just to watch that blue patch bank and that song, Man. that there's nothing prettier than that. I'll choose that over mileage. Now people think I'm stupid. Mileage fun, they're overrated to me. I love to shoot blue wings.
2: Sure. Sure.
0: I love the hot the heat. It's not cold. You got your little fronts coming through. LX the foot college football games are kicking off. And it's a it's the first thing you're hunting. the first time you go. It's just the off, it's just an awesome, awesome feeling I get hunting those blue wings.
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah, we don't get much of that up here. They're pretty much gone by the time our seasons are open, but I wish we did. I got to do a little bit here and there, but, well, Dale, thank you again, man. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to sitting down and visiting some more in the future.
0: Thank you, Todd. Y'all have a good one.
1: Yes, sir. You too.